Boys, another podcast. Ready to go? Boys, ready to go. What is this? This is like episode 13 or something? 13, I believe, or 14. We're rolling. I'm loving this. And we're getting so much good feedback. And the questions are getting better and better every week. I've got some awesome questions that I really want to delve into really quick. Do you guys want to give any updates of your week or do you just want to jump straight into it? Man, I reckon we jump. I mean, mine's been super basic, man. Like, rinse and repeat of last week, feeling better than last week. Training's the best it's been. I'm just, I'm in, I'm in the zone still, so nothing exciting on mine. Yeah, I'm same, man. Let's get into it. Sweet. All right. So, I'm going to start off with a, a little bit of a doozy here on the first one. Currently prepping for season B, learning so much from you guys, but it's causing me to have doubts in my coach as some things that they say um, are a no-no before comp, eating, eating sugar-free foods, reverse diet. She's, she's actually implementing. So some of the things that we're saying not to do, her coach is saying to do. Um, all is fine and I'm on track, but I'm a little bit worried. What does she do if she's uh, questioning what the coach is, uh, is saying and it's going against maybe our advice? So, so just go back because I missed so, – so the coach is telling her to incorporate um, – Some of the things that we say not to do. Okay. Yeah. yeah any, in, any, any specifics? Like, Sarah, you uh, said like – She just mentions about de- or... dehydrating before comp. Mm. Oh, that's, mm. that's, that's uh, eating sugar-free foods. So you know how we talk about maybe cut them out towards the end or be careful because they don't track correctly and could cause mm-hmm. burning issues with the sugar alcohols. So her coach is saying to leave them in. And also, she says reverse diet, etc. So maybe the coach doesn't believe in a reverse diet, or yeah, or I mean, as in, in a reverse diet. So as in like a reverse versus a recovery, or just we don't know. says reverse yeah. diet. So maybe the coach doesn't believe in any of those things. Yeah, and look, look, let's just like it, to put it simply, without knowing the specifics of it, um, you know, if you're already seeing alarm bells and it's it's stressing you out. You just have the risk of getting caught in, you know, especially as you become fatigued, down-regulated, your paranoia may increase. So if you're already questioning their decisions, I think you might get caught in the trap here of like really starting to question absolutely everything that they do. Having said that, you know, like dehydrating and stuff before a show that, I mean, I think we would all agree a hundred percent that, you know, if that's still happening, that's probably an alarm bell. That would definitely be one for me. Um, and again, there's so many things that like I would want to know. Like, you know, is your coach enhanced and you're a natty? And you know, potentially, you know, things that are going to work not because um, it's the right method, but purely because if you're you're treating an enhanced athlete, it's going to work from the pharmacology, not because of the the methodology of the coach. So there'd be a, a heap I'd want to know. But yeah, certainly some alarm bells there. I would just say this. I would say question your coach as to why any reasonable coach should be able to come back to you with an answer on why they're implementing what they're implementing. You know, I know with my athlete check-ins every week, I'll give them the strategy and I'll say, if you have any questions, come straight back to me. If there's anything you want to know about anything that I'm doing this week, come and ask me. Um, so you should be able to get a pretty straightforward answer as to why. And then at least you might get a little more clarification. What do you think, Scotty? Yeah, it's... It's a little bit tricky because I think when you, firstly, when you start working with a coach, hopefully you've done your due diligence. Unfortunately, not everyone perhaps, you know, does. And these days with social media, it's very easy. You see someone who looks great, you know, maybe that must mean that they're a really good coach. Um, But 
I think, you know, it's it's really hard because to be honest, part of me is like, firstly, if someone's telling you to dehydrate, just say no because depending on the protocols that they employ, you know, over the years, I've seen people drunk on stage. I've seen people um, pass out. Like, granted, there's not as much of that anymore and hopefully that's not what they're doing. But I think first and foremost, you've, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a bodybuilding competition. You've got to look after your health first. So in terms of dehydrating, is that um, deleterious to your health? Then I would say, yeah, it is. Like, it's dangerous. In terms, is it going to... Again, in what context? As you said, it's it's a really vague kind of question, but I think. Programs- but do you think it's going to affect the look? Just just dehydrating, for example, is it going to affect yeah. the look? Yeah, well, it depends. If you're not in stage condition, it's probably not really going to matter because if you're not really lean, yeah. like it's really not going to matter. Let's be honest. If you're talking about say Trimboli, he's super shredded. If he dehydrates which there's no way I know B would ever do that, and I know that you wouldn't. And if if he asked you to do that. I mean, you have a lot of respect for Brandon. You, I'm sure you'd be like, um, hey, Scotty, just out of curiosity, do you know, is this something that you're familiar with or would you do that? And you'd probably just ask him straight up. And that's programming 101. There must always be a reason behind why you're doing what you're doing. And I think any reputable coach should have no qualms with, and as you said, MG, any of my athletes, all my sign-ups, like, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. And I think it's important if you are employing a different protocol that you need to explain why you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing. And if you can't, then you really shouldn't be doing it. So I think if you're really not sure about a lot of this stuff, like the sugar alcohols, it's preference. I know a lot of people that still do it. I'm not a big fan of it because again, I think risk for reward, but if you're keeping that in, it's not going to kill you. It's not going to do you any harm. But in terms of dehydrating, that obviously is going to be detrimental to your health and well-being. But I think you should just have a conversation with your coach, literally just say, I've been listening to um, to the Prep Coach podcast, Michael Trimboli, Michael Galanti. Um, I'm sure your, your coach probably would know those names and just say, um, these are some of the things that I've been learning about. What are your thoughts on it? I noticed we're employing a dehydration protocol. I've been doing some research and I'm not really sure that it's the best thing. Can you explain to me why we should do it? And maybe even just literally Google dehydration protocol for bodybuilding and there's some pretty good research out there now to support that it isn't going to be beneficial to do that. So, and at least that way, you know, we're not really throwing anyone under the bus without really knowing the specifics. But I would definitely have a conversation with your coach. And you should have that relationship that you can, if you're not sure about it, you can just ask. I'm not so sure about this. Like, can you explain to me why? And if what they're explaining to you sounds like a load of rubbish, then... You, I guess you have to assess and weigh up, is this really the best person for me to, to be working with? Um, you know, I've, I've had athletes that have pulled out from their coach three, four weeks out from a show because things are getting bad. I'm not saying that's what you should do, but I think you need to just, again, if you're making these uh, or if you're asking the question and then clearly there's already some doubt, so perhaps it's, it might even be better to just send one of us a DM, um, private, confidential, and just, give a little bit more relevance and specifics to it. And then perhaps we can, we can guide you without sort of, you know, hammering anyone um, by this form. I was going to say that. Obviously, I think the consensus is chat to your coach, get your coach yeah. to explain their, their method. And then DM us if you're 
still wondering and you want to educate yourself and you want us to educate you and you want us to have a private discussion with you where all three of us are open to have a discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you, the person mentions that they are on track, so that's a great thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more about there's some things there that's, um, that they think is a, probably a bigger no-no. Uh, so they're the kind of things that you do want to question. And then in the end, make a decision. Maybe you want to trust the coach. You're nearly there. You're nearly at the show. Just go mm-hmm. through it. And then what – I don't say it happens a lot, but it does happen a fair few times is they move on to another coach straight after their show. And that happens to a lot of us. That's and right. they contact us now. We start to get some information off them now. And then we can set the reverse up for them and we can continue on. I'm not saying us, but, you know, a coach that you trust if you're you're not comfortable. So Mm -hmm. there's some, there's definitely some, uh, some takeaways there that I think that uh, that person needs to just investigate a little bit further just to put their mind at ease and, um, and they can go from there and hopefully they get it. They get a great experience. They enjoy the show and they want to compete over and over again for the longevity of the sport. Yeah. Cause that's the biggest thing. What we don't want to see is people. And it, it does tend to happen a lot where people, duck into the sport and they unfortunately have a bad experience and then they don't hang around. I think that's why I know when I'm working with someone for the very first time, you know, I take that responsibility very seriously because ultimately we're going to determine whether that person, the experience that they have, whether they hang around within the sport or whether it just completely crushes their whole world and, you know, they spiral out of control. And I think that coming out of it more so, and that's why I think perhaps, like you said, it it might be worth to, do some due diligence now and perhaps look at um, someone that might be better suited to you who has more of an educated background who can help navigate you through that post-con phase because it can be, the waters can be pretty murky and I think it's definitely advantageous to have someone who, especially a female, who can, you know, understand perhaps the the physiology of a female and perhaps what you need depending how lean you are to help just get you back to being a healthy woman again and then, you know, go from there. I think, yeah, I think just not to harp on, but those two biggest alarm bells is dehydration. Yeah. Not having a reverse diet protocol. Or, or, or a plan in general. Like, yeah. 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 For sure. Cool. All right. On the same page, and I think we're going to cover this one pretty quickly. Uh, if you feel your coach isn't invested in your prep like they were the first time, how do you handle this? If they're, if they're not invested in, so like a second prep and they were in the first one. Yeah. Again, I think it's all about um, open chains of communication. Um, yeah. if, if that's something that you're definitely feeling, I would expect and ask that my clients, um, you know, have a chat with me, send me a message, tee up a time to talk about it. And sometimes it can seem that way because, you know, you've had a, you've had a prep, you've done really well. Uh, it might be a second, third, fourth time around. So maybe the coach feels like you're a little bit more self-sufficient. So potentially, you know, they're not giving you as much because, you know, they're obviously trusting of your ability. They may have five or six first-timers this season who are messaging on four different platforms about, you know, everything that they're feeling and doing. So it may appear that way. Um, so, you know, maybe sometimes the coach just needs a little bit of a reminder that, you know, you're feeling a little bit left out or you need a little bit more attention because, you know, I think, I think it does happen. I think we, we may all be guilty of it sometimes, uh, but sometimes not everything appears as it, as it actually is. So, again, open line of communication. Yeah, open and honest conversation. Um, but, you know, also a good coach should make you feel like you're the only client in the team at the level of attention they give you. Um, and I think there's a question coming up later about how many people you can coach at one time, but we'll get to that in a second. Anything to add, Scotty, or are you ready to move on? Uh, no, that's good. Okay. Um, so for someone thinking about competing... Oh, hang on, let's, no, let's do this one. 
Uh, would you take on a client who wanted to compete even if their body type isn't necessarily suited to competitive bodybuilding? Would you tell them this straight up or would you let them think they have potential? I ask because it seems to be becoming more and more common these days. You want to I think, study? Yeah. yeah, I think when you have that first consultation, I mean, I don't know what you guys ask for when I have a consult, but I have some certain pieces of information that I, that I want to know. One of them is faster check-in photos without a pump so I can just see what their physique's like. Um, if they train, then I might say, can you give me a look at what you look like faster? It's just some quarter turn shots and I'll give them an example of how I want them to pose and then just give me a photo, go and train and show me what you look like, like perhaps with a pump. So we can just see exactly where, um, where you lie. And then from there, I think it's important to just firstly, what do they want to get out of it? Where are you? And if they're like, all right, I want to be a bodybuilder. Like let's say that Michael Galanti comes to me and he's like, I want to do bodybuilding. Well, straight up, I'm going to say, look, I think it's grouse that you want to perhaps do a show. In terms of bodybuilding, let's think of this as a wider scope. There's different divisions that we can do within that in terms of bodybuilding this is an example of what say an amateur um bodybuilder is going to be this is a pro bodybuilder based on your genetics and your structure you would need to be probably 25 kilos bigger than what you are at your height to be competitive in those lineups whereas if we look at say men's fitness or men's physique based on your skeletal structure you're a lot more suited to that category i'm confident with x amount of time we do this this and this we can put some Whatever we need to do, if it's a first-timer, then we can look at obviously going down that path. I think if it's someone younger, then you perhaps need to not... I think I prefer to sell them on more of a, a long-term vision. So if they're like 16, rather than you wanting to do a show at 17, give me three years to teach you how to train hard, educate you, and, and get your nutritional literacy nice and high. Let's put some size on you, especially why essentially at that age, like you're, it's, you might as well be on pharmacology because... You know, your growth levels are high, testosterone's higher. Um, you don't have any obligations as an adult. You can just focus on train, eat, sleep. You can make all the improvements that you need to and you can grow like a weed and then put a show in place. But I think there definitely is, there are times where we do see people that perhaps shouldn't be in a certain lineup or they're just not quite ready because they're like, oh, I go to the gym, I saw so-and-so do a competition, now I'm going to do one. So I think anyone who's serious about doing a comp should at least invest in a coach and ideally have a 12 to 18 month like improvement phase where they can at least address some asymmetries, do a SWOT analysis on the physique, identify where their strengths are, where their weaknesses are. But I think as a coach, you have a responsibility to be transparent about where they fit um, within certain categories because, and if they're just like, I don't care what you say, I don't care how I look, I just really want to go in bodybuilding. All right, if that's what you want to do, then, then obviously that's entirely up to you. But just so you know, it's, it's obviously not going to be a division you're better suited to. But it's pretty rare, I think, that most people wouldn't, if they're willing to, to invest in you as their coach, they're not going to value your opinion on where they're best suited to compete in division-wise. Yeah. What do you think, MG? No, spot on. I think um, the only thing that, like any coach with a reasonable amount of experience is going to have a pretty good idea pretty quickly as to where you fit in from a category perspective and how long you would need to at least be competitive within that category. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I agree with you, boys. I totally agree. There's nothing really else for me to add with that. It's just, yeah, uh, speak to a coach and uh, get them to set expectations and goals and make sure they align um, so that you can be competitive in the category that you decide to do. 
and give yourself adequate enough time to, to do that. Yeah. All right, next one. This is a funny one, actually. Uh, for someone thinking about competing for the first time, would you recommend doing a mock prep phase to see if they can adhere and get a taste for what's to come? Mock prep phase. I, I, I do with people that are perhaps... If they're like, yep, I want to do a show, yada, yada, yada. Again, we talk about putting in place that 18-month um, to two-year window of working together, collate some data, let's build your physique. And typically within that phase, I'll always there'll be a time where we want to run a cleanup phase and I'll give them pre-warning and this is what it's going to look like. And it's also, it's, it's a good experience for them. It'll normally be anywhere from a six to eight-week dieting phase where they can get a taste of this is what's expected, um, in terms of the requirements, adherence-wise, within this phase, this is, a, and I'll sell it to them as this is an example of what prep's going to be like, but we're going to break it down into a small um, compartment of six to eight weeks. We're not going to eat out. These are our intakes. We're going to make adjustments along the journey if we get a plateau in scale weight, um, yada, yada, yada. And I think if, they, if someone can't adhere to that six to eight-week process straight away for you as a coach and for them as an athlete, it shows that, you know, competing, if you're serious about doing it properly, it, it is, it can be quite an arduous task and it is a, a timely endeavor and it requires an enormous amount of discipline. And I don't see the point. If you're going to do something, you should do it wholeheartedly. There's no point being half-assed about it. So if, you, if you've got someone who thinks they want to do it, then it's a really, really good test. And it's not that you're testing them. I'm going to see if you're worthy. It's mm. just to show them what the experience is like, to give them a taste of it and... And it will ultimately give you an idea of exactly what this person is perhaps going to be like going down that path. And then if they bring it up again and they perhaps don't execute that prep, that little prep, um, the, the mini car fades as well as you like, you can give that feedback that we had a six to eight week block. We put down, say, a rate of loss of, say, 1% of body weight a week for that amount of time. Based on the amount of fat mass you have, that was more than sufficient amount of time to lose, say, four or five kilos, whatever. The fact that we only lost a kilo and a half, you know, says to me that it was not a productive period of time of dieting. So if we can't commit to that, there's no way that you're going to be able to give me 28 weeks of nothing but 100% adherence. And then from there, obviously, you would just see how you go. But most of the time, if someone's really wanting to do it, then six to eight weeks, and again, they're seeing the result of, of that dieting process, that's enough to hopefully sell them that, yeah, this is awesome, I love it, I can't wait to do it. Um, and then it also gives them a taste of, okay, when you do start to, to lose a little bit of weight, this is the process of how we come out. Typically, it's not going to be a recovery diet. You're going to reverse their food slowly back up. And again, it, it teaches them and it gives them some of the tools. They might make a few slip-ups, which essentially holds them in better stead when they do actually go down the path of competing. What do you think, MG? Yeah, I think um, for most of us, I think it's pretty rare that like we start with someone and jump straight into prep. And I mean, there's probably some exceptions to that, like we spoke about with that athlete earlier who potentially was, you know, people that change coach, coaches mid-prep mid or close to the end of prep, you know, then you're straight into prep. But typically for us, you know, we'll go into like a, a metabolism phase where, you know, we'll spend, you know, a block trying to find that, that sort of maintenance points and potentially establish a very small calorie surplus. So I think like just going through that process alone without it even having to be a cut, as a coach, you get a pretty good indication as to someone's willingness to adhere to a plan. Um, and again, like I agree with Scotty as well, depending on, on a person's composition level, then, you know, I would also employ like, you know, a, a six to eight week 
block of a deficit. But yeah, I, I find that um, starting with someone and going through that initial block of like finding that metabolism stick point uh, always gives me a pretty good indication as to how serious someone is. Yeah, And it's pretty rare that someone comes to you with the goal of wanting to compete and doesn't give it 100% from, from week one. And I feel like now, you know, as time's progressed and, you know, the longer you become a coach for, um, the athletes that you start with tend to get more serious and more serious. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I, I, I totally agree with what you boys are saying. I think that the only thing would be is because there's not an impending date of you being on stage and being judged, they really need to take it seriously. They need to take this mock prep or mini card or fat loss phase pretty seriously because discipline and motivation might be a little bit less because it's a trial. If I don't, if I stuff it up, no big deal. But in a prep, it's like you've got a date coming up where you're going to be on stage. People are going to be judging you. You're going to be competitive. Yeah. So I think it's uh, it's good for all the reasons that you guys explained, but it just be more about really making sure that that person is going to take it seriously for sure because that's what it, that's. That is part of the, like, if you're trying to practice prep, that's a component of it, is you need to be serious. You need to take it really, really seriously, for sure. And that's, and that's, that's off-season, too. Like, you know, yeah, real sure. success happens. And like, you see those athletes, we see them all the time. Like, the ones that, like, nail off-season to 100%, same meals over and over again, day in, day out, you know, hitting their markers in off-season, you know, if they're on a flexible dieting plan to within 1% or 2% when they don't really have to be. You know, they're typically the ones who, you know, go through that 28-week process without a fault. Yeah. All right, a little bit of a change of pace, but still comp prep related. Loose skin as a mum of two, will it affect how they judge me? Probably, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, certain shots, I think it depends what division you're in. If you're in an open lineup, then, yeah, it is gonna, it's going to probably affect you. But again, if you're in over 40s or 50s, the likelihood is that a lot of those other competitors perhaps are going to have the same issue. Or if you're in, you know, um, a bikini mama's division, there might be some others that are also in the same the same boat. I think there's ways that perhaps the way when you pose, if you've got a good posing coach, there are ways that you can have your hand on your hip and perhaps, you know, pull skin across to create the illusion that it's tighter. There's little tricks of the trade that you can to mitigate, you know, the, the effects of that. But, you know, if you get someone super lean and they've got some excess in, there's not much that you can do about it. Um, and so I think it just depends on the division that you're in. But again, if you're in an open category, then the short answer is yes, it will affect um, the way they judge you. Yeah. And I think um, knowing like when the judges have their scorecards, there's not a box that says loose skin or anything like that. So, you know, it's not something that's specifically being judged. But if it comes down to the wire and it's a really tough decision and it's an open or an overall you know, it probably will have an effect. Um, I think the thing to know as a competitor is if, if that's you, um, that, you know, everyone in the crowd is probably going to be like just amazed at your ability to, to get to stage and to get into that condition. If you've created loose skin, it's probably because you've dropped a ton of weight. So mm -hmm. yeah, the achievement far outweighs the negative of having a little bit of loose skin because it's probably always worse in your own mind than it is to anyone else that's viewing you. Yeah, I agree. Actually, sometimes it's actually worse in your own mind. You're right. Yeah. And what Scotty said about picking the right division, posing in a certain way, uh, to making sure that you're, you know, you're up against people that are in a similar situation to you. Uh, also, too, is is it really loose skin? How much is it body fat too? Because if you're in an off season, you're like, oh, I got some loose skin, and then you get lean and like, oh, actually, it wasn't loose skin. It was just body fat. So 
let's let's just see when you get there and do the best you possibly can. I I wouldn't be worrying about it if if stepping on stage is a goal of yours and that's what you want to do and you want to commit to that goal. Um, I think I think go for it for sure. For sure. Okay, a little bit more technical, and you're probably going to kick this off, Scotty, because uh, you're a technical guy here. Um, so two examples. One is thoughts on back-to-back peak weeks and then also back-to-back show days, one on a Saturday, one on a Sunday. Yeah, cool. Well, a perfect example of this, I actually, um, <clears throat> I had a question come up about this with the Nationals for ICN. That's, so, that's the one, yeah. The same one. Okay, cool. Um, so back-to-back peak weeks, we'll do that one first. So as we said, a lot of people know that I'm an advocate of my athletes doing a workout after they finish their show. So we spoke about obviously when we peak on show day, we are topped up, we're full to the brim, we're obviously slightly manipulating electrolyte levels, we push in a little bit more sodium um, to obviously increase blood pressure, get a better pump, increase vascularity and basically enhance the look on stage. But unfortunately, in the hours after that, perhaps the, the look that we had peaked say at three o'clock, come six, seven o'clock at night, we perhaps don't look as good as we did at three, which doesn't matter because we're not being judged then. But essentially, as soon as you step off stage, the way I explain it to my athletes is we need to hit reset. So we've got a show in seven days' time. In order to be able to bring our best, we need to wash off everything that we've just put in your body and basically get you back to baseline, um, get you flat again so that we can we can peak you. Unless you think that you can hold that look for seven days, which is probably going to be a little bit more difficult. So I would... I would look at, and again, it depends on the division. Bikini competitors, not so much of a deal, but say if you're bodybuilding or fitness or physique or whatever, you would probably need to go have a workout, hydrate, push in some potassium to counter the excess sodium that you took in so that your electrolyte balance is is back to baseline. And then essentially you're going to want to go and have a really good workout so that, well, firstly, you're going to be primed for it because you've had more food, you've done less training the last few days, your body will be itching to get after it. So go and train entire body or get some big compounds out and then essentially hydrate well. Typically have a, a low-calorie meal with some protein and normally it'll be a high-protein feeding because typically throughout the day of a show, protein's going to be a little bit lower because we don't really want a lot of food volume in our stomach. And then when you wake up the next day, <clears throat> depending how the look is, I'll always get my athletes, obviously they'll weigh in, we'll take photos, how do they look? Again, with the tan, having a shower, that can distort the look as well. So I'm a big advocate of get the tan off as quick as you can because when the tan cracks, especially through the midsection, it can really worsen the look a lot more than perhaps what it actually is. Yeah. So you know, maybe go and have a sauna or go to a commercial pool and sit in the spa and just watch it all come off. Um, <laughs> And then essentially the goal is to get back to baseline. So depending on how they, they wake up, you might have someone that they wake up the next day, they're up a kilo, and then typically a day after that, they'll be back to where their low was the previous week. And then it's really rinse and repeat if you're happy with the peak that you employed. So yeah. if you went, you know, low day, Monday, Tuesday, as of Wednesday onwards, we're just linearly loading carbohydrate so we find a look that we like. If you find that look on Thursday then you'll basically baseline that um, until the show. Typically, you pull down food volume the day before. Obviously, you're going to compete so that there's less food in your, in your stomach. And then rinse and go again. If you do have someone, and I have seen this happen, and I know of people this has happened to where they perhaps go out for a meal, 
and they just completely blow out, then sometimes that may mean that you need to run low days all the way up to a Friday. Or if your feedback was, say you won your open class and you miss out on the overall and they're like, you know what, I'd just like to see a bit more conditioning, then perhaps it means that you need to go a little bit harder. And if conditioning is the goal, as we've spoken about in other podcasts, perhaps you don't have that luxury to just slowly load carbohydrate, you know, from Wednesday or whenever. You might need to just really dig all the way up until Friday morning and then even just late Friday Arvo start pushing in carbohydrate and that's just the risk that, that you have to run. But for the sake of if you're that close and you've got someone who you know knows what they're doing, that's not really a big deal either. You can just pick high um, carbohydrate-dense foods with a low food volume. And what about back-to-back days? Yeah, see, that's a little bit trickier. Um, and even on the same day, like I've got one of my guys who's a pro who's competing at the pro show at night but he's also going to be in an amateur division during the day and so even that can be a little bit tricky because you, you essentially need to decide which which one you want to peek at although if the, the the divisions are pretty close together you can hold that look a little bit easier but again i would probably say let's just base it on competing saturday arvo competing sunday i would as soon as their division is done um, basically get them into a gym straight away and then get a bit of, I wouldn't absolutely grind them, but depending on the look, maybe you, they'll train for 45 minutes, um, entire body, perhaps maybe not legs though, because obviously if their legs are going to be on display, you want to keep them fresh. Yep. But all you're really trying to do is just move that carbohydrate around. If you've got a look that you really like, I would just view that as it's Thursday, you've competed, we're going to go again the next day. When you do your, your pump-up sessions, later in the week leading into the show, taking on more carbohydrate doesn't ruin your look. You may perhaps spill over a little bit and that will just be a matter of you and your coach essentially just assessing the look on a you know, bi-hourly basis. And then when they wake up, how do they look? They may need to just pump up a little bit more in the morning again to just push out some of that carbohydrate. But the biggest issue you're probably going to have is going to be electrolyte balance. So just making sure that you're pushing in quite a good amount of potassium straight after the show you know, even potentially um, hyper-hydrating so that that will also help to flush out some of that. And then that also means that perhaps the the morning of, all that water's clearing out, you may not even need to take on that much water because you uh, you were potentially a little bit, you were holding a little bit more water than you originally would have that next morning. But yeah, back-to-back days can be a bit trickier, but I'll just employ more potassium, um, assess the hydration, and um, and then just really just you got to use your eyes. But I would definitely go to the gym that day and train, and go with your coach because they can also see how you look there, also how you're looking afterwards, and how you look the next morning. What are you using for potassium at that time? Are you using a supplement or are you using a, a food source? So typically, I would go with something like you can use banana. Banana's high in potassium. I wouldn't typically go with something like say you might put a bit of potato in the night before because potatoes also got a good amount of carbohydrate. Yes. If you just want to give them, you know, something to in their stomach so that perhaps the morning of, you don't really even need to feed them that much. You can just go with liquid carbohydrate like some Gatorade. But um, I'll typically, in the past, I'll use something like coconut water because that's got potassium. And again, you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. You're also pushing in magnesium and potassium so you can attenuate that perhaps um, increase um, sodium um, balance with, uh, with your electrolytes. And that will normally counter it out but you also maybe need to be not as aggressive and just you know instead of taking in say maybe 2000 milligrams before 
your um, your show, you might just push in a thousand, and you still look really, really good. You might look ninety eight percent instead of a hundred. Um, yeah. But again, Saturday, if you're competing on the Saturday, that's going to be the main division. So I'm assuming if you're in an open class, if it was me, I'd just put it all on the line and and go go for gold on the Saturday, and then just do your best you can to try and hold the look, um, and then yeah, just worry about fluid. Don't go out and have a meal. Train straight afterwards, and then just you and your coach. Get photos hour by hour the morning of. Yep. Anything to add, MG? Uh, just, pretty, pretty said literally, in his, literally in his last line, like probably the one thing that needs to happen more so is, um, you know, you may need to exchange photos with your, your coach more often than normal. Um, yep. You know, if you've got a, a show and, you know, you get to peak week and you get a peak week plan and then there's no touching base with your coach literally until the day of the show hmm. uh, or the morning of, you know, that's probably probably an alarm bell as well. Um, you know, I know with both of you, same as me, like, you know, we're probably getting photos, you know, virtually every day once the carb-up process starts, multiple times, potentially on the on show day after a small pump-up, after meal one, after meal two, depending on timing of the show. So just be prepared to um, to be exchanging photos with the coach more often and having a coach that's accessible so that you can manage the look. So if you need to make any changes, sometimes, you know, all the things that you've been using as a metric on the way through, like weight and things just go out the window and it's really just about managing the look. Yeah, and you're typically not going to eat much as well because, again, you've probably taken on more than what you need. Granted, you've trained. You're probably going to have a light dinner. Literally, it might be something like some fish and some potato before bed um, and that's not right. because it thins out your skin. It's because... Um, or it could be rice cakes just because it's just really light, easy to digest, and it's not going to take up a lot of room um, in your stomach. Awesome. I think we nailed that one, boys. Um, okay. Talking about hydration, is it standard to get a weaker bladder at uh, the end of your prep? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't, I, me, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't, think, I don't know if you call it weaker. Or yeah. just go to the bathroom more often. Yeah, I think that's what it is. I think it's just like a, a confusion of it's not really weaker. <laughs> yeah. You're probably just pushing more water in your carbs are probably lower and lower. You got less glycogen in the body for water to to stick to. It's uh, and you're probably drinking an extra liter to curb the hunger without even realizing it. So I wouldn't say it's weaker. I'd just say that uh, you're far more productive. <laughs> yeah, you're taking in more water less and storing less glycogen because you're taking yeah. less carbohydrates, so you're flushing through a lot quicker. Yeah. yeah, and the food in your stomach perhaps isn't absorbing some of that water too as it goes down because it, it all goes in the same place. And so perhaps if you've got, you know, a lot more food in your off-season, you know, that perhaps soaks up some of that and eventually that would come out in your stool versus obviously in prep, you just have to pee all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and I would just recommend not drinking a lot. For me, I try and really, other than a bit of Coke Zero, I'll pretty much have my water ticked off by about 5.30 because otherwise it can be detrimental to you, to your sleep. You're waking up every, every four or five hours, which is what you don't want. So yeah. you want to try and make sure that you're really well hydrated throughout the day. And then at nighttime, you're not doing anything anyway. So um, I, I, I wouldn't be drinking too much at nighttime. That way you don't have to get up and, and have to pee flat stick throughout the night. Yeah. yeah. If you like, if, if, you, if, you, if you deleted 500 grams of carbs and had three liters and had 80 grams of carbs and had the same three liters, you absolutely can expect to hit the toilet far more. Yeah. Yep. So the next question was, uh, what's the importance of water intake other than hydration and digestion in prep? Well, water's helping to 
total <laughs> carbohydrate. So yeah, obviously, yeah, it's yes, we need to be hydrated. Hydration also plays an integral role in um, in metabolic capacity. So if you're hydrated, essentially, the human body is designed to survive. So if you are not eating enough food and you're also dehydrated then your body is going to try and preserve energy even more so so it will become more efficient at whatever you're doing to utilize less energy expenditure so you're not it's not like oh now i'm in prep now i'm drinking four liters i drink four or five liters when i'm in the off season it's exactly the same um in prep it shouldn't really really change typically though obviously if you have a refeed you might take on a little bit more but water should be just something that it's it's important to be hydrated yeah, don't need to hyperhydrate either, because again, that's going to obviously do, um, dilute blood plasma osmolarity, and you know we don't want to be you know peeing out flat stick, um, and obviously losing electrolytes because obviously it's important. We need sodium, um, and your kidneys will look after that anyway. But yeah, we just drink enough. And the easiest rule is if you go to the toilet and you're, you're peeing clear or close to it you know, you're pretty hydrated. But if you're going to the bathroom and you're peeing yellow, then obviously you need to just hydrate a little bit more. Yeah, unless you've had a, unless you've potentially had a multivit or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but, that, that tends to, those enzymes tend to yeah. come out. Yeah. But just a, uh, a funny one, just to, uh, same topic, but so I know me and Trimboli were talking just before this podcast. So I've got to ask you the same thing. Last week, by the end of the podcast, I was busting, right? And I thought I was the only one. But it turns out Shimboli was busting from 10 minutes in. Oh, and yeah. we, went for, <laughs> we went for an hour and a half. Yeah, yeah. So it just showed you there, right? MT's obviously lower calorie, eating less carbs. He was busting from 10 minutes in. Scotty, were you busting on last week's podcast as well? I was, man. I, <laughs> we all, I, hit, I, it. I we all try, hit it. That's funny. <laughs> I actually try and time my water the morning of so that I'll literally, right before we jump on, that I'll go to the bathroom. Um, and I'll, I'll even make sure, like, if you can see my water bottle, I've barely got any water there because I just tend to just knock it back. And I know that if I have it halfway, I'll get, like, 20 minutes in and I'll be moving around too much and jittering. We need a strategy for the podcast. Yeah, Maybe we need to have a little 20-minute intermission. <laughs> well, unless you're watching us on YouTube, if one of us disappeared, me and MT were saying, you wouldn't actually notice, right? If it was Spotify, you'd just think that the conversation was ongoing. But funny that we all suffered, held it, and never did anything. All right, next one. Uh, nutrition related. Have you ever given a client no fat and no carb days? No. No way. It'd be low. You can give them low. But never know. I think they're probably talking about low because no would be nearly impossible unless you're just having protein only and it's very lean and that's it. But uh, you never need to go to those those depths at all. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never. It's typically at least half a gram of of fat per kilo of body weight. Like, you know, fats, I don't know about you guys, but they'll tend to be, like they'll obviously come down as we get leaner. Um, yeah. But there will normally be a, you know, a cutoff like, Females, you're probably not going to go. You wouldn't go any lower than maybe 25. Um, guys, I've, I've had my fats down as low as 35, and that's purely because when you're that super lean, um, is it really going to make a difference to um, your hormones when you've got no fat mass on you anyway? No, and obviously yeah. carbohydrate is it better? Um, is a better macronutrient source for your body to utilize for energy? So, and obviously fats are more calorically dense. If I have to choose between 
cutting fats or cutting carbs. I'd rather cut fats because all they're going to do is make your food taste good. Well, and like you said, man, training performance, like the difference. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, but you, you essentially, if you're eating protein, unless you're just consuming hydrolyzed whey isolate, you can't really not consume fat like, unless all you're doing is eating white fish. Yeah. Like that guy on YouTube. Have you seen him who eats rice cakes and I had white fish? Yeah, that, that guy from the UK. Yeah, that's gold. Fish and a rice hey, cake. Uh, every <laughs> two hours fish and every four hours fish and a rice cake. We, yeah. we, we talk about it here at the gym all the time. We, we, we laugh about it. So if, someone, if someone's asking that question because their coach is getting them to do that, uh, reach out to us. We'd like to help you for sure. Is that what someone said, that that's what they're eating? That they've asked if you've ever given a client that. Not to know if they're doing it, but I'm just saying, I'm just calling it out. If yeah, I mean, carbohydrates, you can go pretty low, like, because again, if you need to push them, you need to push them. But yeah. if you're not consuming anything, like if all, if, if the meal before you train is at least got to have something in it. If you're literally just eating lettuce and fish, yeah. um, like the guy eating rice cakes and fish, at least he's getting some carbs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. Yeah, true. <laughs> His micronutrient intake is fucking non-existent. Yeah. Just did anyone see? Did you see what he did? He pulls it out of the freezer straight yeah. into the pan. So he deep frosts, he thaws and cooks in the one process. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. Mm, uh, thoughts on jelly light to help with hunger? I think it can be a useful tool, but again, and I have used it um, in prep, but I, I found that it really hurt my sleep having it at nighttime and, and because obviously you're essentially just consuming like a litre of water before you go to bed. So, but I found that when I moved it to say like meal three after I train. It kind of helped to a fill you up a little bit. Um, all there is is a little bit of protein, um, and then obviously by the time you've digested all of that, you've peed all that out. It's fine, but having it at night time, um, it can be a little bit detrimental to to your sleep. Again, obviously it's got sugar alcohols in it, but if you're someone that's having it from like ten weeks out every day, then I don't think that would be a massive issue. But the sleep thing is, especially at the back end, because you sleep, and that's something that so many people just don't respect enough the importance and, and how much of a difference that makes in terms of getting leaner so anything that's going to fuck with your sleep you need to to take that seriously so if you're consuming a late arvo or earlier then yeah sure as long as you're tracking it and again make sure you look at it because the intakes don't match what the calories are on it either so yeah. you need to make sure that you're if you if you're tracking that you actually recall that properly because i think it it says it has like X amount of protein or something and then the calories when you multiply, I can't remember what it was. I haven't had it for years. They just, enough. Yeah. Nah. So yeah. as long as you, whatever the calories are, factor into either your protein or your carbohydrate and then allow for it, then that's fine. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so the, the opposite one, which I think we've covered is uh, they're eating a lot to try to gain weight Um you know, what's some advice you, you can give so you can pump a lot of food in, which I think we've already spoken about before. Uh, so we'll skip that one. Another one was also about cardio. What uh, kind of cardio, what do you advise, stepper, incline, hit? We did cover that in a, a previous podcast too about the types of cardio and, and hit and when we would use hit and when we wouldn't use hit. Um, mm-hmm. So they're covered. So make sure you guys have a look at that. Um, let's go into more of a personal one. It's still comp prep related. Uh, how do you stay committed in a prep whilst going through a breakup? And also, similar vein is: uh, Do you think it's easy to be single or in a relationship when you're when you're in a prep? We kind of covered this a little bit in previous podcasts. Um, 
you know, my advice would be, you know, do you think it's better if you're single or in a relationship or would you break up with someone? I normally tell my clients is don't try to change too much in your life. <laughs> don't go get a new job. Don't go move house, move country. Don't start a new relationship. Don't break up with a relationship unless you're in a really toxic environment, whether that is work, home, relationship, whatever that may be, we really need to get out because is, is that a detriment to your to, to your well-being physically and mental, mentally, then I'd say don't try to change too much. And also, to is we're kind of, and we explained in the last uh, podcast, is our personality type kind of changes a little bit while we're in prep. Um, we can get a little bit more irritated and things like that. So I think it's understanding if we're changing in a way and, you know, make sure that we are open with our communication with our partner about that. So I don't know, we spoke about it last time, guys, but you want to cover anything else? You want I, reckon, to- I reckon there's clearly there'd be like, you know, positives and negatives to both. Like I've never done a prep um, and, and been single. And, you know, for me, having other responsibilities whilst being in prep is a really good thing because, you know, one, I'm typically not sitting there just waiting for time to pass, you know, waiting for that next meal or, or, or time to feel like shit because you've got someone else to think about who also wants to, you know, potentially do activities and, 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 and live and, you know, like Scott, if you've got kids as well. So, um, you know, that, that falls into that category. You know, on the flip side, if you're single, you know, you can afford to be a little bit more selfish. You don't necessarily need to um, take into consideration what somebody else wants to do. But I don't think that there's a, a better way to prep. I think, you know, everybody's different and it just depends on your personality. But MT touch on if you're in a really, really toxic relationship, is that going to be beneficial for your long-term success? And I just don't think that relates back to just that prep. I think it's going to relate back to your, your whole future. Like, is that the environment you want to be in for lifetime success, not just success within this prep alone? So that's probably more the question you've got to ask yourself. But I don't think there's a better way to prep single or in a relationship. I think it's individualized. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything, Scotty, or, or next question? No, man, that's good. Uh, what do you give... Uh, what advice do you give to someone who's very introverted but wants to compete and has an ultimate fear of getting on stage? Mm. And just, maybe you yeah, well, I'll, I'll say this. You, you probably are introverted, but as you get into stage condition, you will start to become a little bit more out there. You will be, <laughs> you know, your self-confidence improves and all of a sudden, you know, you start to feel yourself, you start to see, you know, new details on your physique you've never seen before. And, you know, you, you, you start to become excited in the potential of being able to show that off. So I think just start the process. Start the process. Don't worry about being introverted um, and let your work rate and your physique in the end um, do the talking for you. And, and typically I find that introverts end up becoming a little extroverted towards their presentation of their physique in the end. So I think, like, as a slight introvert myself, I'm more introverted than extroverted. I think having confidence in what you're doing and you know, practicing your posing and making sure that you are set up so that you can execute and, um, and so that you can present yourself on stage and, and be confident in the fact that you know how to work a stage and you know how to pose. And, um, and then your fear will definitely go away. Everyone's going to have nerves, no matter introverted or extroverted. You're going to be nervous when you first get on stage. But I think everyone can attest to this is, once they get on stage and come off, they're like, that was the best experience. I, uh, I can't wait to jump on again. So definitely, um, definitely don't stress about it too much. And as MG said, when you start to look the part and you compose the part, uh, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be good to go for sure. But um, yeah, something that if you have an ultimate goal in life, 
Um, don't ever pass it up. Don't ever pass it up. Yeah, and I reckon, like you said it before, I would say nine times out of ten, feedback that I get from introverts that come off stage was like, oh, I can't wait to do that again. Like, yeah. that, that's such a common response. It's pretty rare that someone doesn't say that. Um, so, you know, chances are you're going to fall into that category too. And maybe too is, and I've got some clients like this, maybe you'll pick a show or a federation where you're not, the spotlight's not on you specifically all the time. So if you've got a show or a federation where they do an individual walk and you're an introvert and you're a little bit afraid of that, then maybe don't do that federation as your first show. Maybe do a federation that doesn't have an individual walk. Maybe do a federation that has a smaller show to start off with, maybe like a country show or a regional show, so you can you know warm up and, and get your feet wet a little bit, build your confidence up, and then go to the bigger stage. Then go to a, a bigger federation where the all eyes are on you as a sole per person on stage or where you have bigger stage, bigger lineups and more competitive. So sometimes work, work your way up too. Yep. All right. Next one is about getting sick. And I'm also going to say even injuries because same thing. So um, have you ever had athletes that are deep into prep with not much time left and they've gotten COVID or sick? Uh, what steps would you take to, to make up any time lost? I guess that goes ahead with injuries too. Yeah, well, I mean, it happened to me. So Scott, yeah, you it's not that long ago. So you, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's. Tell it's us that story there. Yeah, the, I mean, I obviously got COVID uh, the week before peak week for my second show. I got it for my first show. <laughs> um, and really, it was just, I mean, Scott's feedback to me was just all about managing fatigue um, rest and recovery and really just making sure that my nutrition was on point because, you know, four or five days of not, you know, pushing the limits in the gym was not going to ruin, you know, all the work I'd done over the last 28 weeks. Um, but Scott, you probably want to go in a bit deeper. Yeah, we were fortunate enough that you were already in stage condition. So you were a lot more, I don't know if you remember the time, but you were really like freaked out because you're like, which you, you get because you're like, is it going to affect my look? Um, I can't train, yada, yada, yada. I feel like I'm not as lean. And obviously, because you're not training, you're not getting a pump, um, you know, you just look flat and, and lean. It, it can kind of distort your, your vision of exactly where you're at. But um, as I said, the goal was just to, to try and manage the fatigue as best we could because essentially, if you, and you were sick, if you weren't going to be healthy, who cares how you look? You're not going to be able to get on stage. So first and foremost, the goal was to just get you back to good health. Uh, and we did that. And then from there, we just obviously, we kept your food at baseline because you didn't have any energy expenditure. So we just managed what your intakes were. And then legit, after like two days and being able to get back in the gym, it was just like you just picked up where you left off. There was no change. There was no difference. I think it's a bit different if you've got someone who perhaps isn't in the same condition as what you were. You know, you were ready um, and you looked awesome. So if you've got someone that's perhaps three weeks out and they're chasing ass, uh, it would come down to how sick are you? Like, can you still go for a walk? Like, if you've got COVID now, just get up early and go. If you're not suffering from any symptoms, if you're asymptomatic, get up early, go for a walk, you know, maybe even just get some equipment and train from home if you can or whatever. But essentially, just get your steps in. Not training isn't going to kill you. Um, but as long as you can get some output, that's great. And if you can't and you're really sick, then I would say just try and hit your protein intake I wouldn't say go off and just eat buttered toast and <laughs> you know, 
Mum's going to make me a lasagna and drop it over. Um, it might taste good and it might make you feel good, but it won't help the look. So you, you just have to remember if you're literally couch bound, your expenditure is going to be in the toilet. So you, you don't, unless you can go for a walk, you, you probably don't really need to be eating all that much. Just hydrate, sleep, uh, and then just do your best to eat your protein intake. And if you can't eat food, then just drink your, drink your calories. Yeah, that's it. The one thing I could control that week was the nutrition was the only thing I had control over. So that was the thing that I absolutely nailed. And I think I went from doing something like, you know, on average 19 or 20,000 steps, not because Scott prescribed that for me, um, because I just couldn't get any less in the job that I do to like 1,200 a day for like three or four days because I was sick as a dog. I couldn't keep any food down or anything like that. So, um, yeah, ultimately taking my time recovering. And as you said, when I did feel back to myself, two days in the gym and everything was 100% back to normal. So, And you have to remember that when, if you're as lean as you were, like immunologically, you're compromised. When you're that lean, like MT, if you were to get sick now and you're not going to get sick because I'm not even going to put that out there, bro. You're going to be healthy as a horse. Yeah, but, like, but if someone if someone got sick when they're very, very lean, then your body's ability to fight off you know, those pathogens or whatever it is, if it's a virus or if it's COVID is going to be down-regulated because essentially it's prioritizing all of its energy to all these other functions that you're putting your body through. So that's why the importance of obviously and ideally still eating at maintenance if you can or whatever your body needs in order to be able to help your body recover because if you're just like, no, nah, I'm just going to die even harder, then essentially that can also be detrimental um, to, to your physique because you just want to recover. So the goal is obviously to not get sick, but we're not. We're living in a world now where everyone's got fucking COVID or the flu now. So there's not much you can do other than so if you're Trimboli, just go to the gym, train, wrap yourself up in cotton wool, and stay away from everyone. <laughs> yeah, I no, definitely am. Definitely trying to look after myself during this time. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah, if any of those kind of things happen, or if it's an injury, it's about rest, recover, help. Health is a priority. De-stressing, not worrying about it. You're in a situation that you can't control. So you just need the time to pass. Make sure you look after yourself. And yeah, if you can do some of the bare minimum essentials like we discussed, then try to execute those the best of your abilities. And then just assess, you and the coach assess where you're at when you come out of it. Yeah. Build a game, game plan from there. And guys, the you, remember, point you, is, remember what, you remember what happened with Matt, Matt and me? So Matt obviously had been prepping for 28 weeks and got COVID the week of the show, peak week. Yeah. So, you know, pretty pretty heartbreaking and... We had to miss that show. He was in isolation, but it was actually, I spoke to MT and, you know, we let, we had a look at the calendar and look what else was about and ended up picking a different show. And, you know, it ended up being one of the best things that, yeah. that we did. The experience was incredible. The day was incredible. Um, the, you know, obviously Matt did really well. And, and um, so th- there's, there's, there's always other options. So, yeah, definitely. All right, let's go to a training question. Do you add sets to the block as the meso progresses, so as the block, training block progresses, do you add sets? It sounds like a question from a coach, mm. I would say. Um, I, I, I do as a way of overloading. So, like, you know, to give you a, a, a really quick rundown, it's like I might say, let's say that this is a six-week block, right? So I'll say that, you know, week one and two, as an average, we're doing, you know, three sets or four sets on certain exercises. And then, you know, weeks four to six, I may bump some of those exercises up to five sets. The ones that were three might go to four as a way of adding in some forced overload without you always having to find a rep or 
add weight. Um, but I don't do it on every exercise. And again, it's athlete athlete dependent. But I do use that as a tool personally. Scotty, uh, I probably I, I don't usually mainly because at the start of the block, depending on what it is, but I'll normally for all of my athletes, I'll actually have all of the specific muscle groups that are being trained within the um, within the the mesocycle, and there'll be a specific volume allotment. So it might be say quads where we've got 16 working sets this block, hamstrings might only be 12 because we're biasing quads or chest is going to have more and so on. And so typically it'll be within that depending on the muscle group but anywhere from 10 to maybe 22 working sets um, um, prescribed or allotted over the week. And so that's typically where we'll be. I'll, I'll tend to use volume more so as a proxy, which essentially doing another set is a way of, of doing that. But I think it also, as you said, MG, it's case dependent because depending on where you're allocating that and then you also have to look at the effect that that may have on the, the back end of your session. So if you're, say you've got someone who's doing hacks or if it's deadlifts and if you put an extra set in there, then you have to weigh up the benefit of what you get from that set versus the neural fatigue as well as the physical fatigue that you accumulate towards the other, the other sets. So I think you would obviously, you would need to be mindful of then what happens with the next session and the session after, which I know that's what you do, MG. Obviously, if you're overseeing, uh, if you're putting in a little bit more volume, then obviously at some point you're probably needing to give back to that system somewhere along the line. So I typically don't um, do that. doesn't mean that you can't do that. There's a way to do it. You obviously just have to manage that overall volume accordingly because otherwise, um, you know, and also you don't want to put them through junk volume, but you just... You, you need to manage fatigue. I think especially if you're working with an advanced athlete versus if you're working with someone that's younger and their recoverability is better, it's probably going to matter less. Yeah. And, and I'll also add, like, there's certain athletes like that I coach whose training intensity is so sky high that I don't need to add a set yeah. through the meso because I know that if they're robbing some progression, they're already, like, pushing the limit. So, again, when I said it's athlete-dependent, that's sort of what I mean. It, it's, it's, there's those that it just it's not necessary for. Yeah, definitely. I think as long as there's a form of progression across the program, that's the main thing. You know, majority of the time, the progression is going to be rep or weight related, uh, potentially intensity related, using intensity techniques. Um, and some of them, some of the intensity techniques is for the person to naturally add sets before they then up the weight. Some some intensity techniques I use. So, yeah, I think you've got to incorporate all three. It's athlete dependent. Um, but you just want to see progress, right? You want to see progression um, in, in, in all those, in all or some of those uh, aspects. Yeah, for sure. Talking about training, what is your favorite body part to train? Go, Scott. Well, he's thinking. For those who Spotify, he's thinking. He's really racking his brain. Scott, he loves everything. I kind of do, yeah. Maybe. Mine changes. Yeah, yeah mine's evolved really a lot lately, actually. Like the one that I don't enjoy training the most, I hate training arms, which sounds so strange. Oh, yeah. For me, I just... Biceps oh, or triceps or both? Just both. I just... I, yeah, for me, it's, I'm just like, oh, like towards the end, I've got some isolation work I have to do now. Like it, it, sometimes it can feel like an arduous task. Maybe it's different in prep when I'm, when I'm shredded and I enjoy it more, but I, I just, I don't, yeah, I don't really love it. Like I don't have a typical arm day. Um, anything with compounds I enjoy. I like, I like training triceps. 
Yeah, I don't know why, I just do. Mm-hmm. Something about you can just push them. And uh, I find with them is you can grind out more reps with triceps for some reason. Yeah. For me, like I find that if I do like in comparison to biceps, I know when I'm getting to my failure point and I've got, I got one rep left and I'm, I know I'm done. Whereas with triceps, like, I reckon I could get another one and maybe another one. <laughs> And maybe another one. So I, that's why I like training it because you, you never know when you're going to fail. You never know when you, how far you're going to take yeah. it. Kimbali, it's like it's like Brianna that works here. Remember when you were coaching her and like oh, a yeah. push and you think she's gone, right? Like her, like surely that's her last rep, and she will like five seconds down, like and find three more, right? Like, yeah, she'll grind down like five more reps than what you think she can grind out just by looking at how she's moving in there. But they're all clean. like they're <laughs> And they're good reps. Yeah. So, you know, let's not go off topic, but RPE, we always hang shit on it for that specific reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No one yeah. knows where their failure point is sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes when a coach is looking at you train, they don't really know what your failure point is either sometimes. So, poo-poo RPE, anyways. That's <laughs> Yeah, mine's, mine at the moment is, mine is ever-evolving. And I think I know why this is the case, but at the moment I'm loving hip thrusts and hamstring curls. I think it's a lot of it around um, my knee surgery and the ability not to hit quads. And I've always loved training quads. You know, my quads get reasonably detailed and stay pretty conditioned no matter what my body fat percentage is. But um, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a lot of progression in my hamstrings and glutes at the moment. And I think that's part of the reason why, why I'm enjoying it so much. Yeah. And we might end it on this last one. Is comp prep brain a real thing? <laughs> well, I think down regulation is a real thing, and I think that's just a um, a consequence of it. Uh, but I don't think it's a I don't think it's a a proper <laughs> diagnosis of a condition. <laughs> it uh, uh, it definitely happens, um, <laughs> but it's different for everyone. Like I think it just exacerbates whatever personality type. You're. If you're a really forgetful person, you're going to be more forgetful. If you're more of a scatterbrain, you're going to be more of a scatterbrain. Yeah. Um, I think it just exacerbates some of those personality types that you do have. Like for me, my comp brain is to be probably more OCD. Like, you know, like it's, it's yeah, depends yeah, you know, on how you see it. Yeah. Scott, actually, Scotty, Scotty explained that really well in a previous podcast when we spoke about the cycles of sleep, right, and what you go through in terms of cognitive repair. So, you know, comp brain could be worsened by, you know, poor sleep cycle. Uh, if you're sleeping like dog shit. So... Um, but yeah, I think everyone at some point, if you especially if you're in condition enough, like at, if you're at Trimbola's level, would I expect you to have some comfort brain? 100%. Well, essentially there's less energy because you, you're in a deficit. So there's less energy that is liberated toward cognitive function. Like your body's just trying to, it wants to just like chill out and you keep doing tricep pushdowns, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me about it, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, let's leave it there boys but I really appreciate all those awesome questions that everyone asked and if there's any people there that want to reach out DM us ask us anything personal like you know personal questions don't maybe don't want to ask it um, through the podcast and be answered through this public forum let us know if you have any concerns want to pick our brains we are open for uh, for any kind of discussion so reach out to us on prep coach podcast um, IG or any of our personal IGs which will always be be tagged in all, wherever, you, wherever you find these podcasts. Yeah, and uh, it's exciting this weekend. Scotty, we get to see, not only do we get Matty Orchard down for the posing workshop, but we get to see MT in his posing trunks. This is, 
I know you've been waiting for this for a little while. <laughs> I have. Yeah, you've got to give, give it a bit of a plug. What's on this Sunday? Uh, we, do have the, uh, we do have the A and B praising workshop, um, which we are very much excited for. Um, so uh, we've, uh, we've got a big, big crowd registered for it, but I'm really excited to, to see, uh, see the guys and girls who are now only officially will be 14 days out tomorrow. That includes UMT, 14 days out tomorrow to the yeah. show. So, you know, those, those months that you've been grinding away, anyone who's listening who's competing this season, you guys are so close. So just, um, just focus and, and don't let anything get in your way in this last couple of weeks. And, uh, and Scott, I, I think you're going to be giving us a hand potentially with some of the posing for the fitness athletes, which, which we're very excited about as well. So, Yeah, man, I'll, I'll, be, uh, I'll be there. I'm, actually, I'm just looking forward to seeing everyone um, in stage condition going through their poses. And I've actually got a couple of athletes that I've never actually met in person. Um, some of them even off-season that are coming down just to, um, to do some cool. posing and just to obviously support A and B and um, catch up. So I think it'll be... Uh, Scott, Scott and I will be the ones in the big thick hoodies. <laughs> yeah, you won't see me in any... Um, any <laughs> I want some off-season post-downs. Let's <laughs> go. Close down, so yeah. yeah I, I might have. I'm, now that people have heard this, if we get this out before Sunday, we might get a few more registrations now. That yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right, boys, no. over there. Good. I go to the toilet. Anyone see <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, everyone, for the support. Appreciate it. No worries. Yeah. See you guys. Thanks, thanks, boys. Good.